Joining me on the show today is David Yates. David is the director of four of the Harry Potter movies, as well as the upcoming spin-off Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and the recent release, Tarzan. He chats about all of that and gives us some exclusive looks at Fantastic Beasts. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today is BAFTA award-winning director, David Yates. David is best known for directing uh, some of the Harry Potter films, the, the last four, and the upcoming spin-off film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is due for release this November. His latest film, Tarzan, also opened in cinemas a couple of weeks ago, and we chat about all of those exciting projects, as well as his inspiration. Now, just a quick note on this one. He was on the phone and in an airport, so the quality isn't quite this, the usual standard of the show, but we hope you enjoy nonetheless. Here's my chat with David Yates. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me on your show. It's lovely to talk to you. Now, what inspired you to become a director? Um, well, I grew up in the north of England in a, in a little industrial town called St. Helens, which is near Liverpool, in the northwest of England. And I, uh, I, I, I was all, always going to the cinema and... I saw Steven Spielberg's Jaws um, when I was about 13 years of age, and I was absolutely obsessed with the film. And it was it was it was the way it it just took the audience on a complete ride. And I found myself going back to that cinema again and again and again to just actually partly watch the movie, but also just see how Spielberg as a storyteller uh, and a master filmmaker was able to. To sort of to sort of reach them at every level. It was visceral. It was emotional. It was funny, and and that made me want to make films. So um, I said to my mum, "Mum, I think I want to be a film director." And and saying to your mum, "I want to be a film director in St Helens in the north of England," is a bit like saying, "I want to be an astronaut," because there weren't many film directors living in. St. Helens at the time, so, but she was really, um, she was such a supportive mum, she bought me a Super 8 camera, we didn't have very much money, and I just started making little Super 8 films with my little brother, um, Andy, he was the star of all these little films I made, and they won little prizes at little competitions, or little, little film festivals, and that was really how it all started, and then I went off to university, did a, a degree in politics, and then I went on to film school, and... I lost my mum and dad. They both died, unfortunately, when I was 20. Um, and they, my mum died of lung cancer. My dad had lung cancer. They were both heavy smokers. And they left me a little bit of money. And um, not not a huge amount, um, but enough to make my first proper, proper 16 millimeter film. So um, I, I wrote and directed this film called When I Was a Girl. And it was probably after all those little Super 8 efforts, it was probably the first proper film I'd ever made. And and it, it got me into film school and it, it sort of got into lots of festivals and won lots of prizes. And that was really the beginning of my career, properly, I would say. And from that point on, going to film school, spending three, four years there, I came out and started working in television. But it all started really when I was a kid. I had a really overactive imagination 
we lived opposite this farmer's field um, in St. Helens, which is this little rural patch in an otherwise very industrial town. And I used to open the curtains and look out and, you know, this. I would look at this field and it, to me it was an ocean and and I would watch it and, and sort of always think that I could imagine things sailing away onto this great ocean. And from that early point, I was... I was always, I always had a really vivid imagination, and I just channeled that into that filmmaking on Super 8 and 16mm. So that's how it all started. I was kind of a geeky kid who wanted to make films inspired by Steven Spielberg, and and that's what I've done. Mm. So you mentioned you went to film school. Do you think it's crucial for people wanting to be directors to take training like that? No, it's not essential. I mean, when I went... Um, in the early nineties it was it was it was really helpful because you got to work with a lot of equipment. Um, and of course at that time it was important to be able to get your hands on kit like super sorry, like sixteen millimeter cameras and um, editing equipment and and light and sound stages and all sorts of things. So the great thing about going to film school primarily was, of course, you had some tuition and you met other people who were aspiring to be filmmakers. But you also got access to loads of expensive kit that allowed you to sort of up your game in terms of the kind of things that you could actually make. Mm, absolutely. But, yes, but the essential, essential qualities really are the abilities to tell a story. And now, I think, while film school would probably be quite useful, you know, and helpful and certainly not a waste of time. It's not a prerequisite, I think, to develop a career in our industry. I think the more important qualities are to be able to tell a story and the equipment that we have access to now, you can you can shoot a movie on your iPhone practically. Um, so I think it's a much more exciting and democratic time for, for people who, who aspire to tell stories in this form. Um, you don't have to get into a fancy film school. You don't have to, you know, you can you can pretty much resource yourself um, and start telling stories and start showing if you have a talent to tell stories um, with 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 equipment that's easily accessible. And that's the difference between when I started and what young filmmakers have now breaking through. And I think that's exciting because I think when I started, that was a barrier to. Um, a lot of people. I was very lucky. I got a scholarship to sort of pursue my my education in film. Mm. But there were lots of people who were were not as lucky and couldn't go uh, to film school or didn't quite get in, and they may have fallen by the wayside. I don't think that's a, as big an issue now. I think if you if you're passionate about telling stories, you can you can gather the equipment together and just have a go without going on a fancy course. Mm. Now, as you say, it's so much easier for people to make movies now. So with that in mind, how does that affect your job when you're trying to make and, and sell a movie when there's so many different films and TV shows and you know, YouTube videos available for people to consume? You know, that's always been the case that it's been a very competitive world for all our attention. I think it's getting even more so. And I... Um, I I don't think too much about that in the sense that I just try and find stories and characters that I find compelling. And I believe that if you find a compelling enough story, 
and a character that you really care passionate, passionately about, your story, your film, your piece of work will find its place in the world. And I don't think, you know, that, and that's all you can do as a, as a filmmaker and a, as a storyteller. And, um, and it's really about the quality of that story and whether or not it resonates and speaks to an audience with themes that mean something. And so I've, yeah, I've always, I've always been guided by the material rather than its profile necessarily. But of course, the profile of the material I've worked on has been sort of fairly high with the potters. It was fairly high, but before I did the potters, I, you know, I've always been, I always choose things that I just care about. I love doing all the Harry Potter adaptations that I did. Um, but you, you just, when you do a project, when you make something, you make it because you fall in love with it. That's the fundamental thing. And when you fall in love with something, of course you're, you're sensitive to how it will be received or where it sits in the landscape when there's so much else that people can choose to view or see. But you can't help yourself. You just have to, you just have to make something that speaks to you and hope that it will speak to other people. Mm, something that you're really passionate about. So, as you said, you worked on some of the Harry Potter films. Now, seeing as the franchise was already so well-established when you came in and many of the leads were already cast, was it more challenging to bring your own touches to those films? No, not really. At that point, the books were getting much darker and a little bit more intense. And there was a very difficult transition to make from what were perceived as kids' films to something that sort of resonated a bit more and... and took the world into slightly darker, more um, thematic territory. And it, it, so the, the job really was to grow that world up and, and to sort of conclude it in a way that was properly climactic. And that has its challenges, because obviously you want to keep the fans happy who've already built a relationship with those characters in that world. Um, but you've got to then take them on a journey which grows it up. And so I, I had complete, the studio, my producers, David and David, were lovely, and they just gave me my head, and I just went for it. And I invested, just as in all my work, you just invest every bit of yourself into it, and you make it your own. And um, and it's, it, was, it was challenging in the sense that, you know, as you see from so many of these franchise pictures, it's so easy to lose an audience and sort of for it to start to dissipate and lose momentum. And we didn't with the Potters. We actually grew our audience, we grew, we, and we sort of brought the film to a proper, we brought the series to a proper conclusion by staying true to the source material and by allowing it to mature in as interesting a way as possible. So, I, you know, I felt, you know, I felt very proud of what we did across those four films. And... And, and the way the stories concluded after the sort of seven or eight years I was involved with them. Mm. And what was your favourite memory working on those films? We're like a big family. You know, you, you sort of, you work with not just the actors, but the crew um, day in, day out. It's quite an intense, complicated experience making a movie. So you get very close to people um, and you... Um, 
you bond and you you have a laugh and you know it's it was it was the people that made it and and it was always remarkable every time we finished one of them in a way it was it, we were making those films for ourselves but then you came out and you premiered them and you realized that the world was waiting to see them and it was they even though they were big movies that we were making they always felt very intimate to everyone who was involved in them they felt like it didn't feel very hollywoody at all uh, which i felt was good it just felt like we were doing our thing and um and there was very little interference from the studio it was they were very respectful and very supportive and so my 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 fondest memories are just that we had a lovely time making them mm. and we were always it was always very surreal when you came out and and you suddenly you're on a red carpet with thousands of screaming fans and you just thought crikey this is uh, there was a real disconnect um but yeah it was the people the people I made the songs with that I remember mm. fondly and uh, enjoyed now, as you said, Harry Potter is, is a hugely popular franchise. When you release those films and you get that fan reaction, and fans really did love those films, and they inspired so many people, how does that make you feel as an artist to have created or helped to bring life to something so inspiring? Do you know, ultimately, I mean, that's part of the journey that you make, and I, I'm thrilled if it inspires and 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 moves people um, to do whatever they're doing. and But to me, that's a lifelong um, obligation, if you like. If you're privileged enough and lucky enough to be making films at the level at which I, I get to make them, you know, these big movies with big budgets, um, I think I'm obliged really to try and support and help young filmmakers coming through if I can. So I mentor a couple of filmmakers and I, I have a scholarship that I fund at a film school and I, I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's not just through the work that you want to help people, you try and help people um, outside of that as well. But of course, you probably reach more people through the work and that's a wonderful thing if people get inspired to do their own stuff. And, I, you know, it's, um, it is a, it's a, it's a lovely feeling though when I meet people who, who were really affected by certainly the last couple of movies when they saw them because they grew up with that franchise and it meant an awful lot to a good number of them and I, it is, they have very special memories of it and um, I'm glad that I, I felt at least certainly when I meet a lot of the fans that we we did we did it justice and they were really pleased by. Mm. And uh, later this year, you're returning to the world of Harry Potter with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. What can you tell us about this new series? Fantastic Beasts is a, it's a, an, a, it's based partly on a, a book that Joe wrote for charity, and but she's taken a character from that book, Newt Scamander, and she's created a whole new story around him. Um, one of several stories, actually, and we've just finished... Um, the first one I'm editing it at the moment, finished shooting it, and I'm editing it. And it's a it's a continuation of a universe, but it's set in New York in 1926. And it is a very beautiful, very funny, very tender um, story about this slight outsider 
slightly geeky character who's a magi zoologist. He looks after strange and amazing magical beasts, and um, which are generally forbidden in the magical world because they're fairly unpredictable and slightly dangerous sometimes. Um, and it's it's a it's a very exciting extension of her universe, and it has themes I think that resonate and are important. So our place in the world now and the world that's shifting and changing around us. And she, so, you know, other than the sort of fantastic and amazing and wonderful flights of fancy that she presents us with that enthrall and entertain, she's also intrigued by and sort of drawn to certain themes that, that sort of connect with our lives and how we live them and how we interact with one another, how we respect and care for each other, how we embrace the outside, how we tolerate differences, and all of those themes play through uh, this film and, and the film to come, mm. and, which uh, is very exciting. I think when you get a marriage of entertainment and theme, I think it's uh, it's the, it's, uh, you know, I think when you go and see a big movie, you don't just want to be entertained, you want to sort of be ideas to be presented at the same time so it's very exciting and we're, we're having such a good time making it we um we're, we're coming out in november all over the world and uh, it's all looking good it's feeling great and um and we're already starting to set up the second one which we shoot next july that is exciting it's all moving very fast <laughs> mm. now stylistically speaking will it be similar to your potter films Is the, is the reason you've been able to make it a little bit more grown up uh, because the Harry Potter, you know, the kids who grew up with Harry Potter are now all older themselves and that's who you're really targeting with these films? Do you know, I think I think people of all ages will probably enjoy the movie. Uh, I, you know, it's got some really... But I, and it's, made for a, it's made for a general audience and, and of course, the, the, the people who grew up with Potter, I think, will really enjoy it and appreciate it because it is that world again and you know, they they started watching it and reading about it when they were very young, and so it will be. It'll, as the world's grown up, that they'll have grown up with it, and um, that's partly true. But I think we're pretty sure everyone's going to like these kind of stories. It's got something for everybody. You know, Joe's very inclusive. That's you know, she um, she's got this amazing gift as a writer to kind of move through gear shifts, which. You know, we, there's this a, a broad comedy and then there's a very insightful, authentic, emotional moment 
and then there'll be something that is actually actually quite scary and the story moves through those gear shifts in a very effective way and so it's sort of the, the movie I think has something for everybody so it's it's, it's certainly for Potter fans that's for sure mm. um, and do you think that there's potentially a chance we may see an original Potter actor in one of the films over the course of the franchise do you know we, we, we haven't um, really included any of those guys in, in these stories only because they it felt so wrong in a way. They belonged to, so specifically to that previous world. Um, it just it felt like a disconnect somehow. To certainly as we're going back in time, we do have characters though that are mentioned um, that coexist in both worlds. Hmm. Um, so Dumbledore is mentioned in this first film and will appear in the second film, but it's the young Dumbledore um, as an example. But None of the actors, we, we won't be using any of the actors. I mean, I would, you know, I'd love to work with all of them, you know, Dan and Emma, um, Matthew Lewis. Uh, I would love Rupert. I'd love to work on all of them, but with, with all of them at some point, but not on not on one of these kind of projects. It's sort of as they're stretching their acting chops. You know, you'd want to work with them on something completely different, mm. a completely different kind of movie. Absolutely, of course. And before Fantastic Beasts is out, your new film, The Legend of Tarzan, is released worldwide on July the 1st. What's your take on the classic story? The Legend of Tarzan is, is actually set in a very specific period of African uh, political history um, in the Congo in the 1870s when uh, the King of Belgium was actually controlling that part of the world. And... Uh, he had a fairly brutal regime. By all intents and purposes, he was actually a great philanthropist and, and, and sort of attempting to end slavery. But the real truth was much more brutal. And so our movie actually starts with John Clayton, who's Tarzan, actually living his life in, in England with his wife, Jane. He's already an MP and he's, he's settled in this very sort of civilized Victorian world. And he's approached by this extraordinary character called George Washington Williams. Now, George Washington Williams is a real human being, um, existed at that time. And he's played by Samuel Jackson. And George Washington Williams was an extraordinary man. He was a poet, a lawyer. Um, he was a mercenary, a bit of a rogue, a preacher. And he, he knew something was up. And so he... In our fictional sort of variation of this world, he comes and persuades John Clayton to come and join him so the two of them can go and discover exactly what Leopold is up to in the Congo. And the movie is... Um, what attracted me about the movie is, I, after Potter, I was sent so many scripts, and many of them, frankly, felt kind of one note. You know, they were good and they had lots of spectacle for these bigger kind of movies. And um, what I wasn't feeling or reading when I read any of these things was uh, a, a, a sense of surprise. And when I saw Tarzan on the cover, I thought, I know this character, I know this world. But once I started reading the script that Adam Cozad had written with Craig Brewer, I was, I was really blown away. There was something much more surprising about the story that they'd configured and 
and researched and, and, and presented. And I was absolutely hooked, as were all my actors. It was something, the movie's playful, um, exciting. It's got epic, sweeping vistas. It's got all these wonderful animals. It sort of has elements of the classic Tarzan story that we all kind of know, but but that's not what drives it. You know, it's all these other elements. And right at the heart of it is this romance between Tarzan and Jane. And and so it, it just, again, it like some of the Potter movies, it just felt like it had the full ticket. And I... Um, I I fell in love with it. I mean, you, if you're going to spend two years on a project, you need to fall in love. And I fell in love with this project, and um, it's it's well, we're very excited that it's coming out very soon. Mm, it certainly sounds um, like a, a fascinating interpretation. It certainly sounds very me- deep and meaningful, and and like something that audiences worldwide will be able to to grab a hold of. I hope so, I, and it, it just felt like nothing else out there in a weird weird way it was you know when you you get to see all these other projects that are in development and you get offered some of them and you go well i know that's coming out but that's kind of like that and that's kind of like that and that's a remake of that thing and and even though tarzan sort of you go well they've made tarzan a thousand times what can you do with that but we do something different with it that makes it feel quite interesting it's sometimes difficult to put into words but you just have to experience it, I think. And we had our premiere in Los Angeles a couple of days ago, and it was so exciting to sit with 1,500 people. And um, they were surprised, and it, it got a great response. So I'm, yeah, cautiously optimistic. We'll see how we do. Well, fingers crossed for you. Now I'm going to have to get back quite soon because my luggage has just arrived. I'm at the airport, Benjamin. Um, with my wife, we've just arrived from Los Angeles, and, and Steph, who works with us, and um, we're heading heading into work. So I'm going to have to dash in a minute. Have you got one more question? Yeah. Uh, well, finally, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work as a director in the film industry? My advice to anyone who wants to work in the film industry is, first and foremost, never give up. It, it, you really have to be consistent. And... Um, For example, when I started out in the business, I was terrible at interviews. I was really bad at getting a a job. I I came out of film school, my little firm had won all these awards. I went to get work in television, couldn't get a job for life and the money because I was so rubbish at kind of communicating what I really wanted to do or, or, you know, what I was trying to make. And so that took me a while to practice. and as you make films, it's difficult. It's difficult and there's so many obstacles and you get pushed back so often. And so the key is to be persistent and never to give up. If you really feel that you've got something inside you you want to express and present to the world, don't get too disheartened. Just keep, keep, keep you know, keep, mm. keep persistent. The other big note would be it's really about the people you choose to take your journey with. And there's a lot of very talented filmmakers and storytellers who've been unlucky enough to just hang out with the wrong crowd. People who may not necessarily um, believe in them in the right way or have the the maturity to sort of stay stay with the journey. And I think there's a crucial, it's crucial who you make that journey with. You can't make it on your own because it's a collaborative process. And I've been hugely lucky in my career 
to work with some wonderful producers who've always been supportive of me and have always believed in me. They've encouraged me, they've challenged me. You know, even though, um, and so it's important that you end up with the right people around you. And that's, that's as important as persistence. And um, that would be my advice. Choose the right people, choose the right gang, and never give up. Well, thank you for your wise words of wisdom, David, and all the best with all your projects that are coming out over the next couple of years. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Lovely to talk to you, mate. And to you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. That was my chat with legendary director David Yates. Now, in cinemas this week, for one screening only at Palace Nova, is Batman The Killing Joke. The first time Mark Hamill has returned to the role of the Joker in a very, very long time. Now, I know fans of Batman may be aware of this, but uh, Palace Nova thought uh, some of our listeners may like to be aware of this too. So this Sunday, for one screening only at 3pm, Palace Nova Cinemas is showing The Killing Joke. Tickets are on sale right now from palacenovacinemas.com.au and I recommend grabbing yourself some tickets. I'll certainly be there and you'll be able to see my review of that film after that night. And also from our sponsors, uh, Madman Entertainment has sent me a couple of fantastic releases to look at. Firstly, the Blu-ray of Get Smart, The Nude Bomb has just come out. Now, this iconic 1980s show is uh, is one of the highlights for me of, uh, of old TV, and the movie is equally as fun. It's great to see it on Blu-ray, and I do recommend getting your hands on that immediately. And of course, as always, thanks to all our supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Madman Entertainment, and Palace Nova Cinemas. Well, I'll be at the Hilton Awards next week, so look out on Twitter and Facebook for any photos or other interesting tidbits. But I'll be back with another podcast very shortly. I've been your host, Benjamin Man McKay. See you next time. (laughs) 